Our scripture this morning is from a familiar passage to some. John 15, verses 1 through 11. Again, that's John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. May God bless this reading of his holy scripture. Last Friday, Kim and I celebrated 28 years of covenant marriage, and I want to just take a second and give glory to God for that, and give thanks to the Lord for my beautiful wife. And I just ask you to pray for us. A lot of pressure in pastoral ministry, a lot of pressure in life. All of us have a lot of pressure in life, but pray for us. After all these years, all we want is to continue seeking and serving the Lord together, so pray that for us. Pray that we'll be faithful to him, faithful to one another, and faithful to you as a church. So let's go before the Lord now and give thanks to him for the covenant he's made to us and for the word that he's spoken to us. Father, the covenants that we keep together, even the sacred covenant of marriage, are just a mirror and a shadow of the great covenant that you have made with your people. Oh God, you are the best, most faithful, most steadfast, loving husband in heaven or on earth. And someday, Lord, every single eye will see that, every single knee will bow before you because of that, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, demonstrating the faithfulness of the Father. Every tongue in heaven and on earth and under the earth will confess this to be true. So we thank you, Father, for your covenant with us. We thank you for the privilege that some of us have to be in a covenant of marriage together. I thank you, Father, for 28 years that you've given to Kim and I. You have been so good to us, Lord. You have been so gracious to us. I love you for my bride. I thank you so much for all these years of seeking you together and serving you together. And I pray for strength to take another step in faith together. And for what you will do in us and through us in the midst of this congregation, I give you my thanks and praise. And now, Father, as we go to your word, I pray that you would give us sight. I pray that you would give us insight. I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would enlighten our path. I pray that you would show us the way of life that you want us to live. And I pray that you would make us more and more fruitful as we see what you're calling for in life and as we walk in that way. For what you have already done this morning and for what you will continue to do, Lord, we give you our thanks and praise in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're continuing this morning in our series called Growing Up Into Christ. It's an unusual thing for us to do a topical series, but we want to take a few weeks to recast the vision of our church and to set our eyes on things, not just that are important to us, but on things that are important to God himself. We want to see what God sees when he sees the church so that we can commit ourselves to the things that God would truly have us commit ourselves to. And so to that end, we began a few weeks ago by looking at Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, and what I think is probably the most glorious vision of the church in the, in the whole scripture. It's really an amazing picture, and I want to encourage you to keep looking there, keep pondering that picture, keep asking the Lord to help you see what he sees when he sees the church, because if you see what he sees, I promise you it will change the way you live. It will change your, the way you think about your personal life. It will think, change the way you think about your relationship to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It will change the way you think about a whole lot of things. So please just keep pondering that text and please keep asking the Lord to give you sight and insight. Last week we began to 
talk about the importance, the, the profound importance of the Word of God in the life of the church. And somewhere along the way I said that it's so profound, this relationship between the Word and the church, that if you take out the Word, you lose the church for sure. The Word of Christ and the person of Christ can be separated, but they cannot be div divided. They cannot be. If you choose Christ over his words, you've lost Christ. If you choose the words and you forget Christ, you've lost Christ. Both of these things go together, beloved. His word and his being are one thing. And it's vital to the life of the church that we be a people of the word. We cannot be the church without being rich in the word. And so we pondered Paul's exhortation to us last week, given to every single man, woman, and child who has put their faith in Christ. This is not just for the leadership, although the leaders ought to be leading in being rich in the word. We shouldn't just be people who like position and influence. We should be people who lead in our way of life. But the Lord has called all of us to be rich in the word, every single one of us, man, woman, and child, everyone who has put their faith in Christ. Here's what Paul said. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The key to life in Christ is fixing our eyes on Christ himself. And I think that the way God has designed it is that the primary way we do that is by being rich in the word. To fix our eyes on the words of Christ is the means God has given us to fix our eyes on Christ. And clearly, our Father wants us to have more than a superficial relationship to his speech. He wants us to be rich in the words of Christ from Genesis to Revelation, overflowingly rich in the words of Christ. In fact, as I shared with you last week, that word dwell, let the word of Christ dwell in you, that word dwell means to establish a residency in something. It's built off the word house. Greeks actually had a, a verb form of the word house, so house here. And then they add another preposition, en oikeo, house in this place. Let the word of Christ house inside of you. Let it move into the city of your soul and buy up as much real estate as possible. Let it establish a lavish residency so that it touches every single corner of your life and so that it shines its light on everything you are, everything you think, everything you say, everything you feel, everything you do. Let the word of Christ dwell richly inside of you. Beloved, this is our Father's will for us. And this is the way that we're going to grow up into Christ together. This is the way that we're going to mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is how it happens. We reject the word, we reject God's vision for the church. If we embrace the word, then we make progress toward God's vision for the church. So I pray and I have been praying that God would give us the humble ears of children to hear his heart, not just his words, but to hear his heart and to follow in this way. That we in our private lives and in our corporate lives would be a people that are absolutely overflowingly rich in the word of Christ. Now this week, I want to continue this emphasis on the word of God just for one more week by meditating with you again on the words of Jesus in John 15, 1 through 11. And indeed, they are familiar words, as Dave said, but here's the thing. Until we live perfectly by the words of Christ, we're never done hearing the words of Christ. And some words are particularly important for us to hear. And I want to tell you this right from the outset. There is literally, in a personal life or in a corporate life of a church, there's literally no other way to bear fruit in this life that will last except the way that Jesus lays out here. There is not another way. And if we try to bear fruit in Christ in a way other than what Christ has taught us, we're setting up our own religion. We've made ourselves our own pope. Perhaps we've made ourselves our own God. We're telling God, I know a way better than you. The word Jesus speaks here to us is positive, it's life-giving, but what I'm trying to say here in the beginning of the message is it's serious. There is literally not a way for us as a people to bear a single piece of fruit except in this way. We might be able to buy land, we might be able to build a building, we might be able to do lots of different things, but if we don't walk in this way, it's all for nothing. So I pray that God will give us ears to hear, that he'll give us hearts to receive and a desire to walk in his way. Surely that's his heart for us this morning. 
is not just to teach us, but to lead us in a way of life. So I know we just read this, but I'd like to read with you again Jesus' words in verses one through six, and then I'll say a few things about them. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, or in Greek that is the same word for prune, So already you are pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do no thing, not a single thing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus begins in this chapter by laying a metaphor before us, one that to me is stunning and that is very awe-inspiring because it's a display of the extent of his humility. And if everybody in the universe, Jesus has no inherent reason to have to be humble, and yet he's the most humble of all. Jesus pictures himself as a vine, He pictures his father as the vine dresser, which means that he's picturing himself completely subject to the sovereignty of the father. He's picturing himself as completely submitted to the word of the father. And this ought to take our breath away. Because we know that God is one God in three persons. He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equally God. Jesus is God. There's nothing about him that is not God. Everything God is, Jesus is, which is why he could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is God. And yet, as the one with absolute power in heaven and on earth, he's willing to submit himself to the Father. The level, the height of his glory and the depth of his humility seen together ought to take our breath away, beloved. It ought to stun us. Jesus, as a man, was willing to submit himself to the Father and do only what the Father showed him to do, say only what the Father gave him to say. I am a vine, my Father is the vine dresser. This picture is important to us because it's a picture, I think, of the life that Christ wants us to live. Now, to help us better understand why Jesus compared himself to a vine, can you keep your finger here in John 15 because we'll come back quickly, but please turn with me to Psalm 80. I just love how the Lord works. I was just doing, minding my own business the other day, having my quiet time and reading in the scripture, and I had made a note somewhere in my Bible about Psalm 80, so I went over to see why I made that note, and I read these words, and I just thought, Lord, you amaze me. I mean, you happen to know that on that particular day in my reading, I'd be in that particular place, see this note, come to this psalm, and see the connection between it and John 15. Psalm 80 was written by a man named Asaph, He was the primary worship leader of the nation of Israel under the leadership of King David. And here's what he wrote. I want to start in verse 8, and I'm going to read to verse 19. You, God, brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. So he's talking about Israel. You cleared the ground for it, and you, it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. And now I believe in verse 17, he turns to talk about Jesus himself. To this point, we've been talking about Israel as a vine, and now this is why Jesus said, I'm the true vine. Listen now. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine 
that we may be saved. Jesus compared himself to a vine and called himself the true vine because he is the long-awaited, immovable vine of God. A vine was a common metaphor in those days for a, a tree of life, if you will, a thing that gives life. When we think about grapevines, we normally think about wine, and that brings all kinds of connotations to our minds, but there's more than wine involved in a grapevine, and even when there was wine involved, it had medicinal value, it had life-giving value. There was lots of reasons why the vine was used as a metaphor for life in that day, and so it's not a surprise that a vine was used to talk about Israel, and it's not a surprise that Jesus comes along and says, that was a vine indeed, but that vine failed, and God himself poured his wrath out upon that vine. I came to be the true vine. I came to be the long-awaited, true, immovable vine of Israel, planted not only for the salvation of Israel, but also for the salvation of everyone who would believe in him from all tribes and tongues and nations on this earth. As people put their faith in him then, they become one of the branches in the vine. They become one with the vine. They become not just artificially attached to the vine, but they actually get grafted inside the vine by faith. They become full of life because the vine is full of life. They become fruitful because the vine is filled with nutrients, fruit-bearing, life-giving nutrients. And since the Father is the vine dresser, he cares for that vine so that it bears as much fruit as possible. Every person that believes in Christ, that truly has put their faith in Christ, is part of this vine, and God's design for your life and mine is to make you as fruitful as possible for the glory of Jesus. So here's what the Father does. He takes care of that vine, and he prunes it. For the branches that aren't bearing fruit, I think the idea we ought to get here is that they're branches that really seem to be attached integrally to the vine, but they're not. Inside, there's no connection. There's a superficial exterior connection, but there's no internal connection, and so the Father cuts them off. Judas is a great example of this kind of branch. He's a person that decided to follow Christ, but at the end of the day, Judas only wanted what he could get out of Christ. He never for a single second ever submitted his life to Christ, ever. Judas never for a single second believed in Christ, but from the outside, it sure seemed like he did. He was the treasurer of the operation. He had position. He had power. He was sent out with the 72 to cast out demons and do all sorts of stuff, but Jesus knew from the beginning he was never truly deeply in the vine. The Father is gracious in cutting a branch like that off because it's sucking nutrients away from the rest of the vine, and he will do that. The Lord especially through his son, is more gracious than we could even begin to imagine. But beloved, he is not to be played with. And people that seek to play with Christ, play with his name, play with the things of God, one day they're gonna get a rude awakening when the Father comes and prunes them. Hopefully, that's not true of any of us in this room. Hopefully, there's none of us that are just pretenders. Hopefully, we're truly in the vine. But here's the thing, even if you're truly in the vine, even if you're truly bearing fruit by faith in Christ, the Father's gonna prune us too. It's gonna happen because he's a good gardener. And I know nothing about gardening, but I have a wife that has about seven green thumbs at least, so she knows all this stuff. She does all the research, and from what I get, the reason you prune is so that you can maximize the flow of resources to the branch so that it'll bear more and more and more fruit, right? Sometimes she prunes stuff, and I said, I think you killed that thing. <laughs> She didn't kill it. She actually was giving it better life. The Father will do this to us. Sometimes we're very fruitful and we just don't understand why am I being pruned. Maybe we don't think in those terms, but we can think what in the world is God up to? God is pruning us so that we'll bear more and more fruit. And like Jesus, who submitted himself to the vine dresser, our joy will be found when we stop fighting against God and just accept that he knows better than us. I think the one who created heaven and earth knows a little bit more than a singular creature that he created. And life in Christ will become joyful and fruitful and increasingly so as we learn, like Jesus, to simply submit to the vine dresser. Now, Ultimately, the thing that causes a person to put their faith in Christ and become part of this immovable vine is the word of Christ spoken over us. Look at verse three. Jesus said to his remaining disciples, Judas was already out of the upper room. He was gone. 
He went to do what he had already determined in his heart to do. Now Jesus is sitting with the 11 disciples. There are probably others in the room. He knows that they're all truly in him, and so he says to them with utter confidence, already you are cleaned, or as I said, already you have been pruned. The Father is pruning you, proving that you are a true branch. Why? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Not because of a decision you made about me, but because of a word I have spoken over you. He's talking about the gospel. He's the giver of physical life. He is the giver of eternal life. He's the one that makes the Father known. Here's what Jesus said earlier in his ministry. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son, Jesus Christ, except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. If you know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it's because by the will of the Father, the Son made a decision to open up your eyes, to soften your heart, to allow you to see the glory of God and gain eternal life. To put your faith in him and become one with the vine. We're in the vine because of what Jesus has done for us and a word he has spoken over us. We are saved by grace through faith. And this is the gift of God. It doesn't come from us. It is not our work so that none of us can boast in ourselves. Now with this in mind, with this reality in mind, that if you know Jesus, you're in him because he's caused you to be in him, he still gives you and I a part to play. And here's where we really need to listen. Because God is putting this metaphor out before us. I, I think it's helpful to put it in the form of a metaphor. It's a memorable way to communicate. But he's tried to help us thus far to understand how life works with him, and now he's given us a part to pray, play. We're not like a branch in a vine in this way. We have a will. We can make decisions. We think. Literal branches don't think. This is just a metaphor. We are thinking, living, breathing branches. And so with that in mind, our Father has given us a part to play. Jesus said, given what I've done to you and the word I've spoken over you, I want you to abide in me. In this case, this word abide can also mean to dwell, to establish a residency, but it, it has a connotation of remaining. So dwell and keep on dwelling. Believe and keep on believing. Put your faith in Christ and keep on putting your faith in Christ. We don't just believe in Christ once in our lives and then move on to other things. To be truly saved means that we live by faith in Christ. Every day of our lives, we live by faith, we live by faith, we live by faith, we live by faith, and even when we fail, even when we fall, like King David, we run to him and say, oh God, I have sinned, forgive me my sin. And when we do that, Jesus promised us something. He said that if you will confess your sin, I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I will forgive your sins, I will do that. That's what it means to live by faith, even in the midst of failure. To abide in Christ is to press on in believing in Christ. And Christ has called us to do this because he wants us to be an active participant in the work of sanctification in our lives. He wants us to be a branch that craves the vine. He wants us to be a branch that wants to be in the vine. He wants us to be a branch that doesn't just relate to him because he can rescue us from horrible things and deliver us into good things. He wants us to be the kind of branch that clings to him because we love him. Come what may, we love him. I try in every way I can think of, even Kim and I have known each other for 30 years, been married for 28 years now, but I try in every way I can think of to make sure she understands something, that I love her, the human being, Kimberly Susan Handron. I love the person. I meant it when I said in sickness or in health, in riches or in poverty or whatever else our vows were, I meant that because I love her. She's the one that I want. Come what may, I want to live my life with this woman of faith. This is the heart God wants for us. He wants the branches of the vine to want him even as he has wanted us. And of course, we only love the Father because he has first loved us. Of course, that's true. Our love for him is nothing more than the reflection of the light upon the moon. The, the sun is the source. The moon just receives and reflects back. Of course, that's true. But Jesus wants willing vines. He wants passionate vines. 
or branches, I mean. So he says something to us that stretches me every single time I read it because I'm not sure that all the way in the depths of my heart I really believe this because if I did, I think I would act differently in life. He said that because of the nature of this relationship, apart from me, you can't do a single thing. The word nothing in Greek means nothing. That's what it means, no thing, not a single thing. You cannot bear a piece of lasting fruit outside of Christ, you simply cannot. Outside of Christ, there's no access to the Father. Outside of Christ, there's no access to the nutrients of the vine. Outside of Christ, there's no flow from the source of the nutrients into you as a branch. Outside of Christ, there's no grace to bear any fruit. Outside of Christ, there's nothing. There's nothing. The only way to bear fruit in this life, the only way to bear fruit in this life is to abide in Christ. And I think the Lord is so gracious to say this to us, but I also think he wants us to take it with utter seriousness. It is serious. I am the vine You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do exactly not a single thing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now those are weighty words. Those are eternally serious words. But I think Jesus spoke them to us because he loves us. One thing about this God of ours who loves us, is that he will speak the truth to us even when it makes us squirm, even when it makes us uncomfortable, even when we have to face realities that we would rather not face because he loves us. He's like a father who sees people driving toward a cliff and says, you really shouldn't keep driving that way, and especially not at that speed. If you keep going in that way at that speed, you're going off the cliff and you're gonna die. It's a loving father who will warn us. That's what Jesus is up to here. He wants us to be a fruitful, fruitful people. So this brings us to verses seven and eight, and then nine, 10, and 11 are also connected to it. Let's begin, though, by reading verses seven and eight together. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples, so show So demonstrate that you are, in fact, my disciples, that you are in me and that I'm in you, that you are a branch inside the one true living immovable vine. I hope you can see with these words that what Jesus has done in verses seven and eight is he's actually taught us how to bear fruit. I've said to you thus far that the only way to bear fruit is to be connected into the vine. In verses seven and eight, Jesus is actually telling us how. And I want to repeat to you again, there is only one way for this to happen. If you try to make this happen another way, you will fail. Maybe on this earth you'll produce things that look like fruit, but when you get to God, Paul says that our works are gonna be tested before the Lord and the things that were of the flesh are gonna burn to the ground, they're gonna dissipate. Everything that's of the flesh will not exist past our day of judgment, past our day of answering to the Lord. In that passage, Paul clearly has in mind a saved person who has done done some things in the spirit and done some things in the flesh, but he's trying to encourage us to do more and more things in the spirit because all the things in the flesh are gonna go away anyway. It's gonna go away. There is one way to bear lasting fruit, beloved. It is to be absolutely rich in the word and then to pray by the word, that's how. When we're rich in the word and we pray by the word and we walk in the will of God, all of a sudden fruit begins to pop up. Some fruit may be impressive to other people. Some fruit is not even visible to other people. That is an irrelevant thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what other people think. What matters is that our Father knows we have borne true, genuine, and lasting fruit in the way that he has willed fruit to come about, namely through a relationship. Through a relationship. So this is why Jesus begins by calling us to a sort of double abiding, if you will. There's a two-way street here, two-way abiding. First, he says that we ought to abide in him. We ought to remain in him by faith. We ought to believe in Christ and keep on believing in Christ. And we've already seen that this faith comes as a gift from God. God will supply all we need, but he wants us to willingly put our faith in him. And we have to fight for that. Even that great prayerful man, George Mueller, who spent hours a day in prayer, 
He said some days he had to fight for more than an hour to get his heart to turn toward God. We have to fight sometimes, beloved. We have to fight the fight of faith, but God will give us all that we need to do that. And then Jesus said, as you abide in me, I also want this to happen. I want my words to abide in you. Oh, how significant that is. For the life of any individual believer, and especially for the life of a church, how significant that is. We all know that the primary way Jesus dwells in his people is through his Holy Spirit. When you truly get saved, the Bible teaches that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So much so that Paul says that if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. To know Christ is to know God the Father and to know the Holy Spirit. We are sealed, we are indwelled by Christ through his Holy Spirit. But tangibly speaking, the way that Christ dwells in us, speaks to us, guides us, is through his words. I think it's very important, again, to say we can distinguish between who Jesus is and what he has said We can distinguish between his being and his speech, but you can't divide these things. You can distinguish between who Jesus is and what he said, but you can't divide them. If you try to have only Jesus and reject his words, you will not have Jesus. You will have a God of your own making. If you try to embrace the words like some Pharisees and Sadducees did, we're gonna make so much of the word and forget about God. You neglect God himself while you lose Everything, you also lose everything. For Christ to dwell in us means that we are living by faith in him and allowing his word to dwell richly inside of us. We're allowing the nutrients of the vine to flow into us. And like, unlike a natural real branch, we have a will that needs to be exercised. We have a will that can open up the door to the nutrients coming from the vine into the branch. And Jesus says, open that door wide. Let my word dwell richly in you. The word of Christ is the nutrient flowing in the vine. The only way to bear fruit is to let that nutrient come into the soul. It'll pop out in the form of fruit eventually in God's way and in God's time. But it must begin, beloved, it must begin with allowing Christ's words to dwell richly in us. And then on the foundation of this double abiding, Jesus makes a pretty astonishing statement but I wanna just put it to you this way, that all he's saying to us is that as my word abides in you and you abide in me, I want you to learn what it means to talk to me constantly. Now if prayer in the mind of Jesus, and like when Paul said that we ought to pray without ceasing, if prayer in the mind of Jesus and in the mind of Paul was just a set aside activity where you stop everything else you're doing and either go sit down somewhere or kneel down somewhere and pray, if that's what was in mind, praying without ceasing would be an impossible command. But Paul and Jesus himself had something different in mind and that is constant communion with God. Or as I like to put it, constant conscious communion with God. God is trying to get us to come into the place where we're always conscious of the fact that we are in relationship with him through Jesus Christ. He wants us to talk to him. And here's how he wants us to talk to him. On the basis of his speech to us. On the basis of his words. The way that God's side of the conversation is stabilized is through the written, revealed word of God. If I'm communing with God by the word, I don't have to wonder, am I truly sensing God or am I just sensing something else? Is it just my flesh or is it another spirit? Well, if I read the actual words of God and I breathe them back in prayer to God, I can know. I can know that I've heard from God and that I'm praying according to the will of God. This is the vision Jesus has for us. He makes a stunning promise. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask anything you want and it will be done for you. I'm not gonna back off on that promise. That is an astounding promise. But we have to understand that the condition of it is that our minds, our affections, our desires will be so shaped by the word and will of God that we would learn to pray in a way that's pleasing to God. Let me put it to you this way. The word of God is the fuel of prayer that is pleasing to God. Please hear that. The word of God is the fuel for prayers that are pleasing to God. If we will rightly understand the word and pray God's words back to him, we will pray in a way that's like a holy incense to God that is utterly pleasing to him. And of course, he'll want to grant us those things. Kim and I 
heading into our 29th year here, we could ask the Lord for all kinds of things, but what I really want is the things he's already revealed in Ephesians chapter five. I wanna be a husband to my wife in the way that Christ is a husband to the church. I wanna learn what it means to die to my very selfish flesh, always wanting to get my way and have things on my terms. I wanna die to myself and serve this woman with all my heart so that she can grow in holiness and come into the fullness of God, of what God wants her to be. And of course, she wants to play her role in the marriage as well. If I pray for God to do that in me and to do that in us, that's a prayer that's pleasing to God. If I pray, oh God, in 29th year here, we still don't own a house. We want a house. We want this. We want that. We want this. We want that. Maybe God will be pleased to hear that. Maybe he won't. I don't know. But if I pray according to his word, I can know for a fact that God is going to fulfill those things in his time and in his way. He's trying to teach us, beloved, that the word of God is the fuel for prayers that are pleasing to God. Let me put it to you this way. In John 15 here, Jesus is trying to teach us how he lived the life that he lived. I said to you so many times in the two years we were in the Gospel of John that Jesus only spoke the things the Father gave him to say. He only did the things that the Father gave him to do. I want to now be as clear as I can that I think the primary way even Jesus himself discerned the will of God for his life was by being rich in the words of his Father. Think about his interaction with Satan. He didn't just do battle with Satan mano a mano, if you will. Jesus is God. He could have just rebuked Satan and told him in that desert of temptation to do anything he wanted Satan to do, and Satan would have been obligated to obey him. Jesus took the words of the Father and quoted them accurately, powerfully, decisively. So many times, so many times when Jesus said things and did things, there are direct a drawing upon the Holy Scriptures. And Jesus is simply trying to teach us to live as he lived. And what I hope and pray that we'll have eyes to see is that there is not another way to make something of our lives. There's not another way. The Lord has a will for each of us that's unique to each of us. But whatever God has called you to do, the only way you will ever bear any lasting fruit is in this way being rich in the word, and learning to converse with your heavenly Father on the basis of his words. That's the way that we bear fruit. This is the kind of church that we want to be. I don't really care a whole lot about the numbers of the church, about all the programs and all this stuff. I want people to know Jesus. You're gonna see when we get to those four weeks on evangelism that I'm burning with passion for our church to be used so that more and more people can come to know Jesus. I want that but I don't lust after numbers and buildings and all that stuff. It's, those things are secondary things. What I care about is that at the heart of our church, we would hear our Lord and follow in this way because that's the path to bearing fruit. As an individual, in your families, in your community groups, in the church as a whole, in the city, wherever God sends you in the world, this is the way to bear fruit. So, so may God give us ears to hear. May he give us eyes to see May he give us a will to bow toward his will. Now, as I've already said, this way of life that Jesus has laid out before us is utterly dependent upon building a life that's rich in the word. So now we come to the super practical question, how do we do that? And to answer that, I want to ask you to bring out, uh, take out that blue insert in your bulletins again. I put that in there last week. I wanted you to see it again this week because I want to see a couple more things about it. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I do want to give you some counsel and I do want to encourage you in the way, and especially if you're an elder, if you're a deacon, if you're a community group leader, if you're a team leader, I want to call you to lead in this church by your way of life. Show our people how to be rich in the word by being rich in the word. That's how we do it. So I don't want to go over all, all these things here. I do want to point out that there are seven aspects there. There are seven habits, disciplines that can be developed to have a life that's rich in the word. If you took this seriously and sought to integrate all these disciplines into your life, I do want to tell you, it could take you a year, maybe two years, to fully integrate these things into your life. So I, I don't want you to look at this list and just feel overwhelmed. I don't want you to look at this list and say, well, that's just too much, I just can't do all that, and just give up, because I, I, can, I can understand that sentiment. Please just don't do that. Just focus on one thing at a time and take the next step. That's all you need to do. 
As you think about what God would have you do in the rest of 2019 and then in 2020, look at one or two of these disciplines, pick one or two, give it all you've got, and when those things are really established in your life, go on to the next thing. Don't feel like you have to hurry in this. Our Father is unbelievably patient, unbelievably gracious, unbelievably capable to lead us in the way. And different ones of us have different callings, so please don't be overwhelmed. Just focus on something, take the next step. Focus on something, take the next step. Focus on something, take the next step. And while it would be a good thing to take that step alone, it would be even better to take that step together. So I want to encourage you to take that little handout and something else I'm going to show you in a few minutes and look at it together as a family. Look at it together as a community group or find a friend or two in Christ that you can do this together with. Doing it alone is a good thing. Doing it together is a really great thing. So please do things together. With that, I just want to say a few words about the first four disciplines and then I'll pray and bring our time today to a close. With regard to hearing the word, as it says there in the handout, we need to hear the word of Christ because this is how faith is born. This is how faith is nourished. This is how faith grows. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the words of Christ. And there is uh, ample opportunity in our world to hear the word of God itself read out loud through apps or computer programs or whatever. But I think here Paul's actually talking about the public preaching of the word. He's talking about the word being unfolded and explained in the sight of people. And so as you think about developing a life of hearing the word, I want to encourage you to begin with the live preacher, the live shepherd that God has given to you as a people. Whether I'm the one preaching here or Pastor Kevin or somebody else is in this pulpit, I want to encourage you to put a priority on what happens from this pulpit right here. Recently, a young man in the ministry wrote an article that said, I'm a better pastor for my people than John Piper or Tim Keller. And I was so grateful that John Piper responded to this man publicly and said, he's right. And here's what was meant by the original article and by Pastor John. It's not a bad thing, not a sin at all to listen to your favorite famous preacher. Nothing wrong with that at all. I love John Piper. I love him with all my heart. He's a brother and a father in the faith to me. I love him. But what God has intended for his people is to be preached to by a shepherd who actually knows you. John said in his response to this guy's article that he's right. I have a broad love for the body of Christ, but I don't know the people in your church. And God has designed the word of God to be preached to the people of God through a shepherd who knows you and cares about you in a personal way. Maybe not incredibly individually, but in a personal way who cares for you. So please don't hear me saying not to listen to other preachers. I'm just saying start here. And when you think about coming to church week in and week out, I want to encourage you to be as intentional as you can, be aggressive in this as you can, come listening to every sermon and looking for three things. And if these three things are too much for you to think about, no problem, just pick one of those things, all right? Not every part of every sermon is for every person, but some part of every single sermon is for every person that ever comes to hear a message in a church. And so when you come, look for three things. Look for something to believe, Look for something you can stretch and grow in faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of Christ. What is it that Christ this very morning is pressing on you to believe, to trust, to stretch, to grow? What's something you can believe? What's something you can pray? If you're going to learn to pray by the word, the best way to do that is to pray by the word. Every single sermon you hear. You ought to be thinking, oh, Father, how can I turn this now in a prayer back to you for myself and for others? And number three, what's something you can do? Come looking for these things. What's something I can believe? What's something I can pray? What's something I can do? In this particular message, the thing the Lord has been pressing on me this week is this whole business about apart from me, you can do exactly not a single thing. The Lord's really been gripping my heart about that. I believe that. I be I've believed it for years. But I don't believe it to the extent that Jesus wants me to believe it, apparently, because when I look at my way of life, I keep trying to do stuff without really taking the time to be in communion with him. And I want that to change. So I want to fundamentally believe that this is true. Apart from him, I have nothing. I can do nothing. If I believe that, my life will change for the better. That's something I can believe. And this leads right into the prayer because all week long I've been praying, God, help me with that. Help me to remember. Isn't that the problem? We sit in a place like this, and of course we believe the word as it's preached, but then life gets busy and we forget. Lord, help me remember that without you I can do nothing. Graciously guide me in the way 
so that I'll live in communion with you and bear much fruit in that way. And since I knew that this message was part of a vision casting for the life of our church, I've been praying every single day. I've been praying that God would make us a fruitful people as we learn what it means to pray the word together. For me, the thing to do is I want to stretch and grow in my richness in the word. I was literally born again reading 1 John. I was born in the word. And from the very first day I was a believer, I'd never been in a church in my life, but I had such a voracious appetite for the Bible, I read the whole thing in four months. I hadn't been in school since I was in eighth grade. I couldn't remember how to make a G and a Z. I was slightly illiterate. I had to have a dictionary in one hand and my Bible in the other hand. In four months, I read the whole thing because I just couldn't get enough. I've always loved the Word, but I feel God calling me deeper in deeper into his kingdom, deeper into his will. And so there's a particular thing that I plan to do in the rest of 2019 and in 2020, and I'll leave the details between me and the Lord. But for me, the thing to do is stretch in richness in the word. So what's something for you that you can believe? What's something that you can pray? What's something that you can do? I'm telling you, if you will commit yourself to hearing sermons like that, you'll grow more in three months than you've grown in the last year or two. Intentionality has much to do with growth and fruit bearing. So now, with regard to reading the Word, we need to read the Word in order to gain an ever-broadening vision of the whole counsel of God. And so as I mentioned last week, Pastor Kevin and I have a heart for you all in 2020 especially to download the YouVersion uh, app for your phone, your iPhone, or your Android, and to use it as a tool to read the Word or even hear the Word. Now, I had a couple people this week write to me and say they were confused about exactly which app, so I think uh, hopefully there'll be a picture up there. Can we go to the next slide? There's the actual URL where you can find the app, and if you see that logo, you'll know that you're in the right place. And when you actually download the app and you pull it up on the homepage, you'll see on the bottom of it, there's a thing called plans. Push plans, push find a plan, and then go to through the, the through the Bible section and you'll find all kinds of different plans to read you through a small part of the Bible, to lead you through one of the Testaments, to lead you through the whole Bible. There's enormous amount of plans there. They go anywhere from a few days all the way up to two years. There's literally not a person who can't find a plan that would work for you if you just go there and pray about it. And Pastor Kevin and I want to encourage you to do that. One of the awesome things about this app is you can do it together. You can sign up for a reading program together and do this along with others to encourage one another and to be accountable to one another. And we really want to encourage you to do that. Kim and I have decided to go through the chronological Bible plan next year, and you're welcome to join us if you want to do that. Pastor Kevin is going to do the Discipleship Journal One Book at a Time plan next year, and you're welcome to join him if you want to do that. But whatever plan you make, as your pastors, we don't care so much about what plan you choose. We just care that you choose a plan and be rich in the Word of God together. In order to be rich in the Word, we have to read the Word and trust the Lord. So uh, please do that. Please listen to your loving pastors and at least give this app a try. If the app doesn't work, forget the app. There's plenty of other ways that you can find a Bible reading plan. Now, with regard to studying the Word, I just want to make one suggestion to you. The way I think about studying is that I read just to get a broad perspective, and when I read the Bible every day, I read pretty fast. I don't look for a whole lot of detail. I'm just reading broadly because I want to remember what's in the Bible, and usually every day in my reading, I'm just looking for one verse that I can note and remember and pray by, but then in my life, I've always wanted to also dig somewhere deeply and learn how to study the Word deeply. So you're reading broadly, digging somewhere deeply. If you don't have another Bible study plan right now in your life, I want to encourage you to maybe think about taking the book of Revelation and make that your, your, your source of study. As, as the schedule is laid out right now, I'm hoping to begin the series on Revelation on February 16th, which, if God is willing, that will be my 52nd birthday, so it's a great way to start a birthday is to start a new series on the book of Revelation. But you could just take one passage at a time, take as much time as you need to take, dig as deeply as you want to dig, but learn how to study. And as I said last week, I, I, we have plenty of resources that can help you figure out how to go about studying a book. But the best way to learn to study is just to start studying. So as my suggestion to you is if you're at that place where that's one of the habits you want to develop, perhaps you could consider the book of Revelation. It would be a blessing to me for you to do that. I think it would be a blessing to you. It would make you more ready to hear the word when it's preached, and you'd be more of an encouragement to the rest of the body as well. Finally, with regard to memorizing, 
We want to memorize the words of Christ in order to renew our minds by the washing of the word. We want to store up his word in our hearts that we might walk with him and not sin against him. Now, I love every one of the key disciplines on this sheet, but I must say that the process of memorizing the scripture and rehearsing it in my life day by day is probably the most profitable discipline in my life, just as far as actual spiritual growth goes. I absolutely love memorizing the Bible. If you're rusty in this, or if you've never tried it before, on the back of that sheet, there's actually suggestions for how to do it. And I want to challenge you, either in 2019, what's remaining of it, or in 2020, to make a firm commitment to join us in the Fighterverse program. It's really not that hard. If you will work this system, you will find that your brain will begin to learn how to memorize. They've given a real logical way to go about it, and if you'll just work the way and stay disciplined for one week and two weeks and two months and four months and six months, you'll find that your, your mind is able to memorize quickly. I also put the Fighterverse app up here. So there's the logo. If you see that, you know you're in the right place. That's the URL for the series, and in 2020, we'll be on the Fighterverse's set five. We always put this on our Facebook page, we put this on our website, but we really want to encourage you to enter into the joy of memorizing the Word of God with others. Now, before I pray, I want you to know that I created a little worksheet, so it's basically your insert expanded, and here it has the discipline in one row, it has the main purpose in another, but what I added was a, a, a space for you to, um, to uh, record your plan for this. So here's your plan and here's a target date. So here's the discipline, the purpose, your plan, and a target date. I put 25 of these over on the table, and I'd really like to encourage you to grab one. I'll bring more next week if there are none left over. But I just want to encourage you, whatever you do, take one, take two, maybe three at the most of these disciplines, and make a practical plan and begin working on it. Focus on something and just take the next step. Beloved, being rich in the Word is the foundation to everything that Jesus has taught us today. It's the foundation of everything. So maybe this sounds like just another legalistic church program thing to you. Trust me, it's not. This message is coming from the heart of your shepherds that want you to bear as much fruit as possible before you breathe your last breath. So be rich in the word. Father, thank you so much for speaking to us about these things. Thank you so much for giving us Jesus to not only die for our sins and cause us to be in fellowship with you, but to give us an example of how you want us to live. Thank you for causing Jesus to give us particular, specific commands about how we ought to live. And I pray now, Father, that in our flesh that we would not resist you. I pray uh, for that verse that the author of Hebrews loves to quote today. If we hear your voice, I pray that we would not harden our hearts, Lord. I pray that we would simply receive your word to us and that we would learn the great joy of being rich in your word and praying by your word. And for how you will work in us and for what you will do through us, O oh Father, we give you our thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.